Hey guys, welcome to PT Snacks Podcast. This is Casey, your host. And if you're tuning in for the very first time, first of all, welcome. But also, you need to know that this podcast is meant for physical therapists who are looking to grow their fundamentals in bite-sized segments of time so that you have time to do the other things in life that are also important to you. That's the purpose of this podcast. I'm going to go ahead and get into the purpose of today's talk. So we are covering something called radial tunnel syndrome. And if you have not heard of it yet, it is actually a an important differential diagnosis from lateral epicondylitis, otherwise known as tennis elbow. And yes, we are going back to the elbow joint, but... Again, this is kind of a scary joint that uh, we don't treat all that often. And I think that the lesser amount of reps can make it an intimidating joint just because of the lesser experience. So first of all, we're going to talk about what is it? How do we differentiate it from lateral epicondylitis and other factors? And then how do we fix it? In terms of what it is, it's in essence, it's just a compressive neuropathy of the posterior interosseous nerve. If we're going back to our anatomy, we're talking about the brachial plexus. Oh my. But we have as a component of that, of one of the terminal nerves is your radial nerve from the posterior cord of the brachial plexus with C5 through C8. And this nerve travels down the posterior aspect of the humerus along the spiral groove, so the back of the upper arm. And then it travels through the lateral intermuscular septum. Proximal to the elbow. So right above it, it innervates the three heads of the triceps and then a portion of the brachioradialis because the brachioradialis has dual innervation. Fun fact. Now, three centimeters distal to the lateral epicondyle and deep to the brachioradialis, it splits into the PIN or posterior interosseous nerve and the superficial radial nerve. And this division is about three centimeters proximal to the superior border of the supinator, otherwise known as the arcade of Fros. Now, the pin passes between the two heads of the origin of the supinator. Now, the radial tunnel is an anatomic boundary of the radial nerve around the elbow joint. So the boundaries lateral are your brachioradialis, your extensor carpi radialis longus, and brevis. Medially, you have your biceps tendon and your brachialis, and then the floor of it is the capsule of the radiocapitellar joint. So the nerve in this region innervates the extensor carpi radialis brevis, e extensor carpi ulnaris, the extensor digitorum minimi, the extensor digitorum communis, the supinator, the the abductor pollicis longus, the extensor pollicis brevis, the extensor pollicis longus, the extensor index pollicis, the EIP motor, and the dorsal wrist capsule sensory. Wow, that's a lot of things. So it's essentially, this innervates a lot of your muscles that are, originate in the extensor mass. So now, why does it even get compressed in the first place? So the most common site of compression is going to be your superficial supinator muscle along the tendinous edge. It can also happen at the tendinous edge of the ECRB, the extensor carpi radialis brevis, or even from vessels from the radial recurrent artery, otherwise known as the leash of Henry. So these are sites of compression. So what does it even look like in a real person? 
Typically, that person's going to come in with elbow pain, and the script might even say lateral epicondylitis, but they're going to have pain within the mobile wad, like three to five centimeters distal to the lateral epicondyle. And there's even something that you can look up. I would definitely look it up with something with pictures. It's called your rule of nine test. It just kind of helps you differentiate the quadrants that of the elbow that are split into nine, what ones kind of denote a higher chance of someone having pain in their radial tunnel. They might have pain when you put the nerve under tension, which makes sense, right? If the nerve's already unhappy and you're going to add another stress to it, it's probably not going to like it. So tension for this might look like elbow extension, passive forearm, pronation, and wrist flexion. It also could hurt with resisted supination, wrist extension, and long finger extension. And one way that you can be a little bit more diagnostic is to inject it and see if the injection helps. And then if it feels better, at least you know, hey, where the problem was in the first place. Now, here's the thing. This is a diagnosis of exclusion. So Soturianos et al. uh, quoted 20% of patients had an additional compressive condition with this. And 43% had associated lateral epicondylitis. So it's not necessarily going to be a either they have radial tunnel syndrome or lateral epicondylitis. They could have both. Keep that in mind when you are ruling things in. It could just be uh, Penn syndrome, or PIN syndrome, but Penn syndrome is painless and it just has motor deficits and weakness, not necessarily sensory. And I already mentioned another diagnosis, of a, a differential diagnosis is lateral epicondylitis. But for this condition, they're going to have tenderness directly over the lateral epicondyle. Make sure you rule out the joints that are around the area. So like screen out or cervical radiculopathy or distal biceps tendonitis. Now, if we're going to test for this condition, you can get a radiograph to rule out osseous injury or abnormality. So like, hey, let's make sure there's no broken bones or something, right? But typically they're going to need an MRI. And in MRIs, you might even see that there's denervation edema in the pin muscle. Um, 44% of the times in the supinator, there could be a thickened ECRB edge, prominent radial recurrent vessels, or even just swelling of the pin. You also want to make sure there's no space occupying lesions like tumors, ganglia, radiocapitellar synovitis, and bicipital bursitis. Nerve conduction studies? Not really that helpful. So the PIN has unmyelated fibers, or C fibers, that sends nociception, and small myelinated group to A afferent fibers, that sends temperature. So compression can cause pain, but it doesn't necessarily affect motor function. And these are fibers that can't really be evaluated by an EMG or nerve conduction study. So then what? Maybe we find out, okay, this area seems angry. What do we do about it? The first line of defense is always going to be non-op. So these patients are going to be educated on activity modification, insets, positional adjustment, corticosteroid injections, exercise, But if it still doesn't work after a year, then they might actually get a surgery for decompression. Okay? 
So that is radial tunnel syndrome. And we've covered what it is, where it is, and what causes it. If you have any questions, though, please reach out at ptsnackspodcast at gmail.com. And I would love to answer your questions. You can also find me on Instagram at ptsnacks. But that's it for today, guys. Make sure you're subscribing if you haven't already. And if you happen to need CEUs, MedBridge is offering 40% off for PT Snacks podcast listeners, if you follow the link below, um, for access to thousands of CEU courses, webinars, and even there's a patient exercise program where you can put together exercises and generate a list with your reps and how many times of the the week to do it for your patients where you either print it off or they get a link and they can follow it through their app or not. So definitely really, really, really cool, especially if you need to get some CEUs. But that's it for today, guys. And until next time.